Join Jessica Smith on the Like a Girl podcast, where she defies odds, shares inspiring stories, and empowers women to embrace their inner leaders. Tune in for a transformative journey. Now, Mark owns the business solo. So he continues to be successful. And I'm just, I'm just impressed to just watch him work by himself, run this business by himself. To this day, he's one of the smartest business men that I know. And it was just an honor to be able to learn from him and him be a mentor and just watch him be successful with a partner and without a partner. As a matter of fact, that year, one of his accomplishments were he was top five service center and top five sales center that year running that business by himself when in the entire direct by network, at least none that I had witnessed or known of or heard of, no one ran that business solo. It was a partnership either, like I said, husband and wife or business partners. And that same year, I won my first award of being all of the U.S. and Canada. That vision I had, that first conference that I went to watching Lee Grimaldi win that award, finally was real. And I think part of achieving that goal was just creating a vision in such detail. Just seeing myself on that stage the day I watched her and every day of my life after that day, having that same vision. And after I achieved that goal, I think that the rest of my goals just really, I I believed on a whole nother level. And this would be the first time for me speaking in front of a large audience, a very large audience and saying a speech. And probably up until the day that I was there on stage, I was not nervous at all. I was excited and I remember preparing my speech and Mark asking, do you mind if I read it? Maybe I can give you some feedback. And I know the real reason he wanted to read it is because he wanted to make sure that, you know, everything I was saying made sense and I wasn't going to embarrass him by saying, you know, some crazy shit in front of, you know, a large group like that. But I wrote this speech and I remember him kind of being surprised a little bit, but 
he made a few suggestions, not many, and he said, it's it's good. It's funny. It's inspiring. And I like it. Great job. I think it was at the Gaylord Hotel in Florida. I don't remember. You know, we went to so many amazing places. It's hard to keep up with which one was which because we had our yearly sales conference and then we had our summit where you had to qualify as top salespeople to go to that every year. And other than, you know, our yearly conference, I remember going to that first summit and it was a pretty small group. And I, if I had to guess, I would say probably no, no more than 65 people in my first summit. And it just kept, you know, the organization just kept growing every year. But um, one of the goals that I had too is that I would never miss a summit. And I didn't. I never missed a summit one time. So that was definitely a proud moment that I had. And that was a goal that I set for myself that I would never miss a summit. I mean, places like the Bahamas, Bermuda, Puerto Rico, Mexico, like I'm from the west side of Chicago and between I-57 going from Chicago to Kentucky, that's kind of the extent to where I've been. So really being able to just see these different places was a huge blessing for me. And every year that I had the opportunity to go to one of these, it was it was an honor. And so far, the goals that I have set for myself, I wanted to own a home before I was 25 years old. I wanted to make it to the number one director of the year. And I wanted to make $100,000 a year. All three of those goals seem to be the craziest thing that I can think of. And I remember when I set those goals and Mark asked me, what are your, what are your goals? What do you, what do you hope to accomplish? And I remember him telling me when we started reading the book, The Magic of Thinking Big, and just talking through not setting small goals, but big goals. And even now, I didn't have this thought process then, but even now sometimes I think about when I pray and I ask God for things, and it's like, God is such a big God. Like he can do anything. Why am I asking for little things? 
so those goals were big goals for me. And there was a part of me that really felt like they were just dreams that just couldn't come true. But maybe if I aim for the sky, whatever I'd end up with would be good enough. I don't know, but I I just know that there was a part of me that said that this shit is crazy. Like you can't, you can't do that. So those were my goals. And at this time I could check off one of those boxes, right? So the others just seemed to be, okay, maybe just maybe I can do this. So I feel like I have accomplished something. I have made some big strides in in, in, in my goals. I feel like I'm being successful. I'm making money. I moved out of that basement apartment. Now, it wasn't like a total shithole or anything like it was it was a basement apartment but it was actually brand new when I moved in they had just built it but it was still a basement apartment and it was still small and you know nothing nothing fancy but I moved into an apartment complex out by O'Hare airport called the pavilion and It wasn't downtown. It was by the airport, but it was fancy. It was fancy to me. They were, I want to say I lived on like the 15th floor. And this place had a convenience store, a hair salon, a gym, indoor pool, outdoor pool, restaurant, nightclub in the apartment complex and it wasn't cheap to live there. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was fancy. And initially I had a roommate when I moved in and then eventually I had my own place. Now my own place as in the boyfriend is still there in case you were wondering. So, yeah, he's still there, but I don't remember if he quit direct by because he was working in the warehouse. And I was thinking about this over the weekend. I was telling my husband, I said, you know, it is so crazy when I think about how the owner, Mark, let me either hire all of these people in my family or I don't want to say I convinced him because maybe I had to do a little convincing, but at the end of the day, you know, he's a smart businessman. Many of the things that he did for me didn't make business sense, but he did it for me. So, I think I mentioned before that, you know, we're talking aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, sisters, brothers, like the whole family came through direct by at one point in time. So 
the boyfriend was working in the warehouse for a while. So Mark gave him a job and I can't remember if he quit or he got fired, but he wasn't working anymore. So he is staying in the apartment that we're living at out by O'Hare. Like I said, I had some success. I'm feeling really good. Things are not as bad between us, I think, just from the standpoint that he's finding different ways to get what he needs outside of me. I'm really never home. I'm working like six, seven days a week. And I'm still praying. And God is hearing me and he is answering my prayers. And I remember my best friend, she's over to my house. We're just kind of sitting around, chilling, talking. And I remember he comes in and he's telling us that he's going out of town. And I kind of have an idea where he's going. So this particular apartment complex has a lot of foreigners that live there. There is a lot of like flight attendants since we're near O'Hare, but it's very diverse, like people from different countries that have money come for whatever reason and live at this apartment complex. So there's this, it's like a small, it's nothing big. It's like a small nightclub, but like a bar, restaurant in the apartment complex. And, you know, for those people that live there, you're kind of like a regular, right? You go and you hang out. Well, of course, he would go and hang out at this bar. And he met a group of guys that had just moved from Bulgaria to Chicago. And he brings them home one day and introduces them and says, hey, I want you to, I want to introduce you to my new Bulgarian friends. And I'm like, oh, this is not, this is not good. And so he's hanging out with these guys and I'd probably say, uh, within 30 days, I'm thinking to myself, um, he if they're already not into drugs, these guys are going to get into drugs. Sure enough, they end up, one in particular ends up with a pretty bad heroin addiction really fast because that's that's what he does. He finds someone who has the money and the means to buy the drugs, introduces them to heroin. And then after three or four days of getting high straight, you've acquired an addiction and dependency on of heroin. So that was kind of his thing of what he did. And these guys had money. 
one way or the other, they are bringing drugs and guns back from different places. Their family business in Bulgaria is guns. So he's telling us how he's going out of town. He's got some business out of town with his Bulgarian friends. And we're just listening. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I, I, I'm, I'm about to get paid. This is going to be a big one. You know, we've been kind of going back and forth, but I put a deal together and he's just going on and on. He's packing his bag and I'll never forget on the way out the door, he looks back at us and says, y'all make sure you pray for me. He walks out the door and she looks at me. I look at her and I'm like, is, is he for real right now? Like, we're going to sit here and have a whole prayer and ask God to cover him as he um, brings guns and drugs back and forth from, okay, yeah, no, we're not doing that. So he leaves and that night I didn't hear anything from him. The next day I didn't hear anything from him. And on the third day, I get a collect call from the federal prison. He's in jail. All I'm thinking is, thank you, Lord. You have answered my prayers. I just hang up the phone. Five minutes later, he calls back. And when they say, say your name, he's like, Jessica, please answer the phone. So I answer the phone. I accept the call. He says, man, I'm in trouble. I need you. And I said, what? I don't understand what happened. What, what? He's like, well, I can't talk about it over the phone, but I need you to get down here, downtown, and bring a lawyer. I hang up the phone. And I'm like, Lord, you answered my prayers. And if I'm being honest, I, I felt bad for the guy. I really did. And then I felt bad for praying, Lord, whatever you have to do, please get me out of this and get him away from me. But he answered my prayers. I did not get a lawyer. I did not go downtown. In fact, I called my friend and said, you are not going to believe this. This guy got popped. He's done. I'm done. It's over. And one of my promises to God when I prayed is that I would never look back. If you just help me get out of this situation, if you just get him away from me, I will never look back. So a couple weeks later, I ended up changing my phone number, maybe some months later, it could have even been a year or so later, I did end up going after a few therapy sessions, I needed to see his face and I needed to really just let him know that I forgive him and that we were good, that I was moving on and I hope there was no ill feelings, but I asked God to help me get out of that, and he answered my prayers, and I'm sorry about his situation, but 
That's it. And strangely enough, he was totally fine with it. He understood it. He apologized. And that was it. It was over. And I moved on. And I would say that I really had the opportunity to start thinking about who am I? Like, who who am I? Because the person that I was when we met, I was definitely not that person. So I had to figure out who the hell I was because somewhere in this relationship, I kind of lost touch of who I was as I was evolving into a new person, but I didn't know what that meant. So I began a new journey of who am I? And for the first time in a really long time, I am alone and I'm by myself and I give people this advice all the time. When you end a relationship or end a chapter, you begin something new, like you need that time to just sit in stillness. You need that time to look in the mirror and ask yourself, who am I? Because when we go through trauma, I believe that we just get lost and we really forget who we are. We forget who God says we are. We forget our dreams. We just get lost. And you need that time to really regroup and really figure out who you are. And I think as I started to spend some time with myself and again, also going through some therapy that really helped me early on, for the first time in my life, I realized that one of the things that I didn't like when I looked in the mirror is what I saw. Now, I'm going to go back, way back a little bit here. And I was always a big girl as a kid. I'd probably say somewhere around third grade, I started getting, like going through that chubby phase. And then that just turned into like, I'm the little fat girl. Now, as I got into my success, started making a little money and, you know, fixing myself up and the hair and the nails and the clothes, I then, I don't know if if delusional is the right word, but I had this false sense of security. Don't get me wrong. 
I thought I was cute. Doesn't matter. Big, there are beautiful women either way. However, I believed that I was okay being a big girl. That that was okay with me. That I was happy. I liked what I saw when I looked in the mirror. I was that girl. I was confident because I always had a guy who you probably stopped and said, well, how did she get him? At some point, I had a policy that if I would ask a guy if they liked big girls and they said yes, I wouldn't want to talk to them because it wasn't a challenge. I wanted to date the guy who never dated big girls before. That way I knew he wasn't a chubby chaser. That sounds crazy, right? But one of the things that I found when I had that moment of stillness is that I did not like being fat. Did not like it. As a matter of fact, I came to the conclusion that I was just downright uncomfortable. And for all these years, all those things that I said and the way that I showed up wasn't real. And I knew that I had to begin that journey. And because of the success that I had and the things that I accomplished, I said to myself, I'm like, wow, you work so hard. Like you've accomplished everything. And those things that you couldn't do on your own, like get rid of this deadbeat relationship, you prayed and God made a way. So you can do the same thing. And I decided that I wanted to lose weight. So I started just researching, like, what do I need to do here? Like, I, what, what food should I be eating? I didn't grow up eating vegetables. Being Mexican and black, that just meant that most of the things that you ate were fried foods or some sort of bread, cornbread, tortillas with everything. And it it wasn't a healthy lifestyle. And I can't blame my parents because they didn't know any better. They really didn't. And what I was able to identify through therapy is that I had acquired a food addiction at an early age. So because of the environment that I was in, at an early age, I found comfort in food. And so I had a very unhealthy relationship with food. And as I grew older, that bad relationship with food just grew. And so I was able to identify where my addiction came from. And even though I did not choose the path of drugs like, you know, some of my siblings did or other family members did, 
that was their way of dealing with either mental illness or the trauma that they had went through, I chose food. So I've identified that I have this thing and I want to do something about it. And I want to do something about it because I don't feel good. I know that it's unhealthy. And I want to look better. I want to feel better. I want to I want to be healthy. So I begin changing the way that I eat. I start working out. I'm living in this great place. I start hanging out between the gym and the bar. And really, I've never been a big drinker. So most of the time, I always say I talk too much to drink too much. But I'm meeting people. I'm losing weight. Things are going pretty good. I'm working my way up at Direct Buy. I'm making more money. And one day, I check the mailbox and I get a letter in the mail. And I remember when I looked at the front of the letter and I saw my name and address, the handwriting was like super nice handwriting. I looked at the return address and I see it says Kentucky State Penitentiary and I'm like, who is this? What is this? Because at this time, all my brothers are out of jail. The envelope seems really thick and I open it up and this thing is like 20 pages and I begin to read the letter. Thank you for tuning in to another insightful episode of Lead Like a Girl. We hope you found today's podcast valuable. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on your preferred platform. Your feedback is crucial in helping us continue to provide high-quality content. If you found the content inspiring, we would like to encourage you to share this podcast with your network. Stay tuned for more inspiring stories and leadership insights on Lead Like a Girl. Until next time, lead with passion and purpose.